Welcome to Inside the BACB, the official podcast of the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Inside the BACB. I'm Dr. Tyra Sellers, the organization's Director of Ethics, and I'm joined today by our Ethics Educational Manager, Dr. Sarah Lichtenberger. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is another episode in the series covering the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts. So as a reminder to you all, the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts was published back in December of 2020, and it's going to go into effect January 1st, 2022. In episode 15 of Inside the BACB, if you remember, Dr. Carr and I introduced the code, we described the revision process, and we talked about the new introduction section, as well as kind of gave a quick intro and some highlights for each of the six sections. In this episode, Sarah and I are going to cover the standards in section three, which is responsibility to clients and stakeholders. That's right, Tyra. So in this episode, we're going to review each of the standards in Section 3, which will focus on what's been edited, what's new, and what's missing. And as a reminder, folks can find more information on the BACB's website. Specifically, there's the code itself, a crosswalk, and the December 2020 newsletter, and the podcast episode you just mentioned or maybe multiple episodes. That's right. There's also the Section 1 and Section 2 episodes. Um, All right, well, let's jump into things. But before we start talking about the specific standards, can you just kind of tell us a little bit about the overall purpose of the standards in Section 3, Responsibility to Clients and Stakeholders? Definitely. Section 3 covers behavior analysts' responsibility to protect the recipients of our services from harm and act in their best interest. This section replaces and updates the content from Section 2.0 of the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts. If you listen to the podcast about sections one and two that Tyra just mentioned, you'll remember that Jim and Tyra noted that those sections are broader, but section three actually starts to get more specific. Awesome. Thanks for the brief summary of this section. And you're right. I think sections one and two are much broader. And this is the first section that starts to get a little bit more specific, really focusing on clients and stakeholders. Let's take a second. I think it would be helpful if we remind everyone that the definition of client has been updated. The new definition of client reads, the direct recipient of the behavior analyst services. At various times during service provision, one or more stakeholders may simultaneously meet the definition of client, for example, the point at which they receive direct training or consultation. In some contexts, the clients might be a group of individuals, for example, with organizational behavior management services. So I think it's important to remember that the definition has been changed a little bit. Yeah, that's right. And we've also added a definition for stakeholder, which is an individual other than the client who is impacted by and invested in the behavior analyst services. For example, a parent, caregiver, relative, legally authorized representative, collaborator, employer, agency or institutional representatives, licensure board, funder, or third-party contractor for services. And that is quite a list of examples, and it's (laughs) not actually exhaustive. Um, But I do also want to point out that these definitions were combined under the definition of client in the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts. But as we've just shared with you, they've now been separated. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for clarifying uh, those two important terms and reading all of those examples. Let's get into the content. There are 16 standards in Section 3. 
The first is 301, Responsibility to Clients, and it reads, Behavior analysts act in the best interest of clients, taking appropriate steps to support clients' rights, maximize benefits, and do no harm. They are also knowledgeable about and comply with applicable laws and regulations related to mandated reporting requirements. This is a revision of a code section in the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts, right? Yep, you're absolutely right. Um, it's actually a combination of the introduction section of 2.0 in the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts, 2.02 and 2.05. This standard sets the stage for the rest of this section. It is a responsibility of the behavior analyst to protect our clients by supporting their rights, maximize benefits, and do no harm. Yeah, I think the inclusion of the do no harm requirement is a really critical update to the new code. Super important that that language made it in there like that. I agree. All right, so the next standard is 3.02, identifying stakeholders. This one reads, behavior analysts identify stakeholders when providing services. When multiple stakeholders, for example, parent or legally authorized representative, teacher, principal, are involved, the behavior analyst identifies their relative obligations to each stakeholder. They document and communicate those obligations to stakeholders at the outset of the professional relationship. So this is a new standard, though it does include some of 2.02 from the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts. As we mentioned just a moment ago, the definition of client in the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts included both clients and stakeholders. But now that they've been separated, this standard provides some clarification for behavior analysts regarding their responsibilities to stakeholders, including when there's multiple identified. Awesome. Well, I think that's pretty clear. Let's move on to 3.03, which is titled Accepting Clients, and it reads, Behavior analysts only accept clients whose requested services are within their identified scope of competence and available resources, for example, time and capacity for case supervision and staffing. When behavior analysts are directed to accept clients outside of their identified scope of competence and available resources, they take appropriate steps to discuss and resolve the concern with relevant parties. Behavior analysts document all actions taken in this circumstance and the eventual outcomes. For our listeners, I'm sure this sounds very familiar because it is a revision of 2.01 of the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts. And while it would not be appropriate to provide a specific number of allowable clients, as there are so many variables that affect that decision, but this standard provides some examples of considerations for determining if a behavior analyst has capacity to accept a client. Those might include if the services needed are within that individual's scope of competence and if they have the resources needed to provide high-quality services such as staffing and time for case supervision. But like I said, it's not possible to provide a comprehensive list of all those potential variables because they may differ significantly based on the behavior analyst, service location, service type, client, and a multitude of other factors. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. They're just way too many specific variables that could present themselves in any number of permutations that could impact one's ability to take on a client at a given point in time. And those things are going to change over someone's career, right? That's exactly right, Tyra. And another addition to the standard is it provides some guidance if an individual finds that they've been requested to accept a client that's outside of their scope of competence or available resources. And this should be addressed with the relevant parties, which could either be their supervisor or employer. It's very important they document the conversation 
and also what happens as a result of the conversation. Perfect. All right. Well, the next standard is 3.04, service agreement. This standard reads, before implementing services, behavior analysts ensure that there is a signed service agreement with the client and or relevant stakeholders outlining the responsibilities of all parties, the scope of behavioral services to be provided, the behavior analyst's obligation under the code, and procedures for submitting complaints about a behavior analyst's professional practices to relevant entities. For example, the BACB, service organization, licensure board, funder. They update service agreements as needed or as required by relevant parties, for example, service organizations, licensure boards, or funders. Updated service agreements must be reviewed with and signed by the client and or relevant stakeholders. Yeah, so this standard is a combination of standards from the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts, specifically 2.05D and 2.12. This standard outlines the minimally required steps when creating a service agreement. So when you're setting up a service agreement, it's important that the scope of the behavioral services is provided and clearly outlined. And it's also important that the individuals share information about where complaints about professional practices should be directed. One important addition is that the new standard specifies that it is possible that service agreements may need to be updated throughout services as changes occur. Because we know things change as you're providing services. So if there's policy changes, changes to service provision, et cetera, those need to be updated in that service agreement. And then each time these changes are made, it's really important that they're reviewed with the client and or relevant stakeholders, and that should be documented with a signature. Yeah, I think that's such a great point that you have to have everything outlined ahead of time to review with folks, but also if you have to make changes, it's probably best practice to ensure that you document the fact that you reviewed those changes with someone. And one of the easiest ways is to get them to initial or sign that revised document. Okie dokie, well, that takes us to standard 3.05 titled financial agreements. It reads, before beginning services, behavior analysts document agreed upon compensation and billing practices with their clients, relevant stakeholders, and or funders. When funding circumstances change, they must be revisited with these parties. Pro bono and bartered services are only provided under a specific service agreement and in compliance with the code. This standard is also a combination of a few standards from the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts. And those codes are 1.07D and 2.12, specifically B and D. I do want to point out that this standard specifies that financial agreements should be created before beginning services. And the standard also addresses instances in which pro bono services may be provided, which was not addressed in the previous code. Okay. Well, we'll move along then to 3.06. This standard is titled Consulting with Other Providers. And it reads, behavior analysts arrange for appropriate consultation with and referrals to other providers in the best interest of their clients with appropriate informed consent and in compliance with applicable requirements. For example, laws, regulations, contracts, organizations, and funder policies. Yes, so this one hasn't changed too much from the original, but I do wanna take a moment to highlight that the burden is on the individual to know about and comply with any relevant requirements depending on their work context. Yeah, I think that's a great point to highlight, and that's also something that Jim and I highlighted in our reviews of section one and section two, 
just sort of the general idea in the code that it's impossible for us to predict all of the contacts that would be relevant. So the burden really is on the individual to know about and comply with requirements that are specific to their contacts, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Well, that brings us to several standards that are related to third-party contracts. The first of these standards is 3.07, third-party contracts for services. This one reads, when behavior analysts enter into a signed contract to provide services to a client at the request of a third party, for example, a school district or governmental entity, they clarify the nature of the relationship with each party and assess any potential conflicts before services begin. They ensure that the contract outlines, one, the responsibilities of all parties, two, the scope of behavioral services to be provided, three, the likely use of the information obtained, four, the behavior analyst's obligations under the code, and five, any limits about maintaining confidentiality. Behavior analysts are responsible for amending contracts as needed and reviewing them with the relevant parties at that time. Wow, that was a mouthful. Yes, that was a lot, <laughs> but nicely done. Thank you. You're welcome. So you'll notice that the standard and the next two used to be all one very large standard in the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts, and that was standard 2.04. And there are a lot of components to consider when providing services through third-party contracts. So this new standard provides some enhanced specificity in terms of the components that need to be included in the contract for services, including the behavior analyst's obligation under the code and the scope of behavioral services to be provided. This standard also clarifies that it's the individual's responsibility to amend the contract as needed and review those changes with the relevant parties. When reviewing the document, it's important that the individual documents that the review took place by either having the parties involved sign or initial and date the document. Yeah, makes sense, right? Document that you revise things and document that you reviewed things. Yes, very important things to remember. Perfect. I really love that clear responsibility to reflect those changes in the contract and review them. Super important. All right. Well, the next standard about third-party contracts is 3.08, responsibility to the client with third-party contracts for services. And this one reads, behavior analysts place the client's care and welfare above all others. If the third party requests services from the behavior analyst that are incompatible with the behavior analyst's recommendations, that are outside of the behavior analyst's scope of competence, or that could result in a multiple relationship, behavior analysts resolve such conflicts in the best interest of the client. If a conflict cannot be resolved, the behavior analyst may obtain additional training or consultation, discontinue services following appropriate transition measures, or refer the client to another behavior analyst. Behavior analysts document all actions taken in this circumstance and the eventual outcomes. What I want to highlight in this particular standard is the additional guidance provided on how to address conflicts, because I think that's really important. So as the standard states, the individual must place the client's care and welfare first. So when conflicts arise, the individual must seek to resolve it. But if that's not possible, um, seek additional training or consultation, or they may consider discontinuing services, but they need to make sure that they're taking appropriate transition measures, or they may even want to refer the client to another behavior analyst. And as with many other standards, the standard reminds the individual to document all of the actions taken and the outcome. So document, document, document. 
All right. Well, the last of the three third-party contract-related standards is 3.09, and it is titled Communication with Stakeholders About Third-Party Contracted Services. This standard reads, when providing services at the request of a third party to a minor or individual who does not have the legal right to make personal decisions, behavior analysts ensure that the parent or legally authorized representative is informed of the rationale for and scope of services to be provided, as well as their right to receive copies of all service documentation and data. Behavior analysts are knowledgeable about and comply with all requirements related to informed consent, regardless of who requested the services. Yeah, so I want to point out here that the standard now highlights that it's the individual's duty to be knowledgeable about the requirements related to informed consent. It really might be possible that the third party who's contracting services may have policies that differ from the requirements specified in this code or with other entities. So again, it is the individual's responsibility to be aware of and comply with all of the requirements related to informed consent. So we have two consistent themes. You have to know about stuff and comply with them and you have to document, right? Yes, that's the trend <laughs> we have here. Perfect. All right, well, those three standards provide more clarity to folks about how to manage third-party contracts. So thank you for reviewing those. You're welcome. 3.10 is limitations of confidentiality, and that's the next standard. It reads, behavior analysts inform clients and stakeholders of the limitations of confidentiality at the outset of the professional relationship and when information disclosures are required. So I know in the two earlier podcasts, you and Jim reviewed quite a few codes that actually address confidentiality. Those would be 1.02, 2.03, and 2.04, which all cover different aspects of confidentiality and the individual's responsibility to be aware of relevant laws and requirements. This standard specifically calls out the individual's responsibility to make clients and stakeholders aware of limitations of confidentiality at the start of services. Awesome. That moves us on to 3.11, which is documenting professional activities. 3.11 reads, throughout the service relationship, behavior analysts create and maintain detailed and high quality documentation of their professional activities to facilitate provision of services by them or by other professionals to ensure accountability and to meet applicable requirements. For example, laws, regulations, funder and organizational policies. Documentation must be created and maintained in a manner that allows for timely communication and transition of services should the need arise. So no surprise, we have a standard with document in the title. <laughs> and yeah, this one hasn't changed much from 2.10 in the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts. And the important thing to remember is that documentation should be ready at any point in time for transition. So while we've mentioned it a couple times already, it's the individual's responsibility to be aware of all of those relevant documentation requirements, make sure they're up to date. And if something happens and you have to transition a client immediately for some reason, it's ready to go. Perfect. I think that's a reasonable expectation. Well, 3.12 or 3.12, advocating for appropriate services is next. It reads, behavior analysts advocate for and educate clients and stakeholders about evidence-based assessment and behavior change intervention procedures. They also advocate for the appropriate amount and level of behavioral service provision and oversight required to meet defined client goals. 
This one has not changed too much, and it stems from 2.09 in the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts, if you're looking for it. Perfect. Well, the next one is 3.13, and it's titled Referrals, nice and simple, and it reads, Behavior analysts make referrals based on the needs of the client and or relevant stakeholders and include multiple providers when available. Behavior analysts disclose to the client and relevant stakeholders any relationships that they have with potential providers and fees or incentives they may receive for referrals. They document any referrals made, including relevant relationships and fees or incentives received, and make appropriate efforts to follow up with the client and or relevant stakeholders. So this one has changed a little bit from 2.14 in the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts. In the original standard, it states that behavior analysts must not receive or provide money, gifts, or other enticements for any professional referrals. In the new 3.13, the individual must disclose to the client and stakeholders any relationships they may have with people they are referring and any potential fees or incentives they may receive. And then another important specification is that the referrals must be documented, <laughs> no surprise, <laughs> including the potential relationships, fees, and incentives that are involved. And then the other addition is that the individual should make efforts to follow up with the client and relevant stakeholders about any referrals that they've made. So this may not be appropriate in all cases, but in all instances, it should be documented. <laughs> Thanks for those highlights, Sarah. One thing that you didn't point out was that there's a requirement to provide referrals to multiple individuals if possible. And I think that's a really cool addition because we want to be giving folks choices. So the next standard is 3.14, which is titled Facilitating Continuity of Services. This one reads, behavior analysts act in the best interest of clients to avoid interruption or disruption of services. They make appropriate and timely efforts to facilitate the continuation of behavioral services in the event of unplanned interruptions, for example, relocation or temporary leave of absence, and unplanned interruptions, for example, illness, funding disruption, parent request, or emergencies. They ensure that service agreements or contracts include a general plan of action for service interruptions. When a service interruption occurs, they communicate to all relevant parties the steps being taken to facilitate continuity of services. Behavior analysts document all actions taken in this circumstance and the eventual outcomes. Whew, okay, that's a long one, but really important. And correct me if I'm wrong, but 3.14 is one of three standards that are all related to 2.15 in the professional and ethical compliance code, right? And assuming that that's true, can you talk a little bit about why it was important to pull those apart? Yeah, Tara, so you're correct. 2.15 has now been split into three different standards to address transition and discontinuation of services. And one thing I'd like to share with our listeners is that we do have a high volume of allegations and violations related to the standards in the ethics department. So it's really important that you're paying attention to these and make sure that you are in compliance with them. Um, so these new standards provide some additional guidance for individuals to make sure that clients are protected in terms of continuity of services, specifically when it comes to interruptions, discontinuations, and transitions of services. Cool, thanks for that explanation. So let's get back to discussing specifically 3.14. Let's do it. So here's the thing. We know interruptions happen, whether it's a car accident, 
a surprise change in staffing, illness, um, or any other reason for services being interrupted. But it is the individual's responsibility to facilitate the continuation of services, regardless if it was a planned or unplanned interruption. Yeah, you have to have a backup plan, right? Yes. So this standard also provides guidance for documenting and communicating the steps taken when an interruption occurs. And another item to consider with the standard is how it relates to the RBT ethics code. So while RBTs do have an obligation to prevent service interruptions, the burden of continuity of services is on the behavior analyst. And it's our job to make sure we have a plan in place in case an RBT leaves without notice. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So certainly it's unprofessional to leave without notice, but the ultimate responsibility is likely on the behavior analyst to ensure that there are backup staff, subs, or some sort of plan to minimize negative impact on clients when those sorts of things happen, right? A hundred percent. And then document it. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) All right. Well, great. So the next one is 3.15 and it's related, but it's specifically about the requirements when discontinuing services versus just sort of interruptions. So 3.15 is titled Appropriately Discontinuing Services, and it reads, behavior analysts include the circumstances for discontinuing services in their service agreement. They consider discontinuing services when, one, the client has met all behavior change goals, two, the client is not benefiting from the service, three, the behavior analyst and or their supervisees or trainees are exposed to potentially harmful conditions that cannot be reasonably resolved, Four, the client and or stakeholder requests discontinuation. Five, the relevant stakeholders are not complying with the behavior change intervention despite appropriate efforts to address barriers. Or six, services are no longer funded. Behavior analysts provide the client and or relevant stakeholders with a written plan for discontinuing services, document acknowledgement of the plan, review the plan throughout the discharge process, and document all steps taken. Okay, wow, that's another long one. It is, but you did a great job, Tyra. Thanks. So I think the biggest change to note in this standard is that some additional considerations for discontinuing services have been provided that weren't there before. So the new additions include situations when the behavior analyst, supervisees, or trainees are exposed to potentially harmful conditions that can't be resolved, or the relevant stakeholders are not complying with the plan, even after you've attempted to address those barriers. And finally, when services are no longer funded. Again, getting that signature or initials and date on the written plan and other relevant documents are crucial, especially when you're transitioning and discontinuing services, but also all the time. (laughs) But also always. The standard also clarifies that the circumstances for discontinuing services should be included in the service agreement. So this should be discussed before services are even started. Yeah, I love that reminder that you need to be thinking about these things that could arise or are likely to arise and have them included in your service agreement and you're reviewing them with folks before you ever start actually providing services. So the enhanced clarifications and specific steps to take are really nice additions for folks, I think. Yeah, you need to be prepared. (laughs) And document it. All right, well, that brings us to the last standard related to this topic, which also happens to be the last standard in section three. It is 3.16 and it is titled Appropriately Transitioning Services. It reads, 
Behavior analysts include in their service agreement the circumstances for transitioning the client to another behavior analyst within or outside of their organization. They make appropriate efforts to effectively manage transitions, provide a written plan that includes target dates, transition activities, and responsible parties, and review the plan throughout the transition. When relevant, they take appropriate steps to minimize disruptions to services during the transition by collaborating with relevant service providers. You've made it to the last one. Yes. <laughs> so this standard is focused specifically on transitioning clients to another provider, whether it's within your organization or outside of the organization. And it provides some guidance on the components needed for a successful and effective transition of services with minimal impact on the client. So again, it's crucial to document all of those steps during that transition and to keep open lines of communication and collaboration to make sure your clients are protected. Right, that's the ultimate goal, to minimize any kind of negative impact to clients and stakeholders. Do no harm and benefit clients. And document it. <laughs> and document it. All right, well, thank you so much for that really great review of section three, responsibility to clients and stakeholders. This section is so important to really ensure the protection of clients and stakeholders. You're very welcome. Um, and I'm really excited about this section. I think it will provide some additional guidance for behavior analysts as they serve their clients. And we hope this information proves useful for certificates, supervisors, business leaders, and those teaching ethics content in becoming more familiar with the ethics code for behavior analysts. Alrighty, well, that brings us to a close for this episode of Inside the BACB. Please keep an ear out for future episodes covering the last three standard sections of the Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Yes, thank you for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to Inside the BACB. Don't miss future episodes. Subscribe now.